All right, if you'll stand with me this morning as we open God's Word to Acts chapter 9. We'll be finishing it up, uh, reading verses 32 through 43 as Pastor Bruce continues his sermon series through Acts. This morning we're going to look at Peter's miracle ministry. Uh, If you're using a pew Bible in front of you, you can find this passage on page 633. Again, we're going to read Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwell in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples had heard that Peter was there. They sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord." So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a Tanner. Let's pray. God, we thank you and praise you this morning for your word. Lord, we thank you for the miracles that you worked through your disciples in the book of Acts. And Lord, we pray that we would just be encouraged that in times of pain and suffering and even death, God, you are king and you are on your throne. God, you conquered death and the best miracle that you ever accomplished, Lord, was bringing us salvation through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. May you just be praised and glorified in all we do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Kirk, for leading us in our scripture reading. Appreciate that. I think it's safe to say that uh, all of us here this morning are impacted by sickness and death either directly or indirectly. We can't escape it. Sickness and death are all around us. and In fact, it's just an everyday part of our lives. Some of you here this morning are dealing with sickness in your own life, perhaps. Or perhaps some of you are caring for people who are are dealing with sickness themselves. Some of you may have lost someone you love to death in the last year or two years or three years. And it's not like, when you think about it, it's not like we're not trying to fix this problem of sickness and death. The medical industry and health insurance is doing everything they can to encourage people to to eat healthy and to exercise in hopes of extending our days here on earth. And yet here we are with sickness and death all around us. And there's seemingly nothing we can do to ultimately prevent sickness and death. And all of this begs a question. It's a question in your notes. If you want to follow along, there's an insert among many inserts in your bulletin this morning that you can pull out and follow along, or you can just follow along on the screen behind me. 
Uh, but this begs the question, why is there so much sickness and death in the world? Perhaps you've often wondered that yourself. Perhaps you have even verbalized that question before. Why is there so much sickness and death in our world? And the answer is this. Sickness and death are simply the, the universal consequences of a fallen and sinful world. Something has gone terribly, terribly wrong in our world. And according to the storyline of the Bible, sin has entered into our world here. Before sin came into the picture, there was no sickness and no death. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But when sin entered into the world, and you can read about that in Genesis chapter 3, suffering and death also entered into the world. And as a result, we now live in a world that is marked by sickness and death all around us. Sin affects our soul. And it causes us now to be separated from a holy God. Because we ourselves now are sinful. We're sinful by birth. We're sinful by choice. In sin, also, it affects our body, our, our physical bodies here. And it causes us to be sick. And, and eventually, ultimately, we all die physically. And so we grieve and we mourn the fact that sickness and death are ever-present and seem to be overwhelming us at times. Which brings us to another question. Is there any hope? Is there any hope in the midst of all of this sickness and death that surrounds us in our world today? And I would submit to you the answer is absolutely yes. And the answer, the reason why we answer yes is because Jesus is our hope in the midst of sickness and death. Because Jesus paid the price to overcome our sin with his death and resurrection. God made a promise back in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And the promise was this, that Jesus was coming. And that Jesus would be our hope. Because he would one day conquer sin and sickness and death with his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Written 700 years before Jesus was born. Listen to the words of Isaiah in Isaiah 53, 4-5. It says, Surely he, speaking of Jesus, took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. What a glorious promise. All because of Jesus Christ. This promise is given to a world that is filled with sickness and death, disease and suffering. And when Jesus came to die on the cross, he came to address that very root problem. You see, the root problem is not sickness and death. The root problem is what? It's sin. And Jesus paid the price to overcome our sin so that we now could be free from the penalty of sin and so that we could be healed both spiritually and even physically. That's the whole point of the cross of Jesus Christ. And the obvious question now becomes, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean God's will for us in this world is now no longer to experience sickness and death? 
Well, I wish, oh, how I wish I could tell you that that's what it means. But it doesn't. All of these miracles that you read through the Gospels, the miracles that Jesus performed in the Gospels, and in all these miracles that we see even in the book of Acts here, and even specifically this morning, these two miracles performed by Peter, they are intended to give us a glorious picture of what is to come in the fullness of God's kingdom when Christ fully and finally asserts His rule and reign on earth. You see, the day is coming. I hope you're looking forward to that day. You say, what day? Oh, a day is coming when sickness and death will be no more. But until then, until that day, listen, we trust in God's goodness. Until that day, we trust in God's presence. And we rest in those things as we carry out His mission to let them hear. This is what we see happening here at the end of Acts 9. As the focus shifts away from Saul back to Peter and his miracle ministry through the power of Jesus Christ. You may have noticed there are two miracles at the end of this chapter. We have the miracle of a crippled man who is raised from his bed, and we have the miracle of a dead woman who is raised from the dead. But attached to those two miracles is another miracle. The miracle of people being saved from their sins. Now, these miracles are meant to show us something. They're meant to show us the power of Jesus Christ to heal and to save and to give us hope for today as we carry out His mission to let them hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. After all, it is the gospel that is the power to save for everyone who believes. And so, what I want us to do this morning is take a look at these two miracles, actually three miracles. We're going to look at a great miracle. We're then going to look at a greater miracle. And then we will close this out by looking at the greatest miracle of all. Are you ready to dive into some miracles? I know the royals have been performing some miracles of late in the postseason, but folks, listen, they, it, that is nothing to the miracles we're going to see here this morning. Number one, the great miracle. Peter heals the crippled. Peter heals the crippled. Look what Luke tells us here in verse 32 of Acts 9 again. Look at it with me one more time. It says, Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. Now we know from the previous verse, in verse 31, that the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. And this is why Peter is now traveling through all parts of the country. We last, the last we heard of Peter, he had remained in Jerusalem together with the rest of the apostles following the outbreak of persecution that had scattered many of the Jerusalem believers throughout the regions beyond Jerusalem, the regions that are known now as Judea and Samaria. But now a period of peace has arrived. And Peter was on the move. 
for the first time since Jesus commissioned him and the other disciples to be his witnesses. You may remember that commission back in Acts 1.8. And so Peter, you can kind of think of it this way, he's on the move and he is on a trip checking in on the churches that had been planted throughout all parts of the country in Judea and Samaria. But Peter, you have to understand, he's relatively unknown outside the city of Jerusalem. The scattered Jewish believers, oh, they would have known him. But something was needed to kind of add to his credentials as an apostle, especially among the Gentiles. And that's something. Well, that's why we have the end of the book of Acts 9 here. That something are these two miracles that he was about to perform through the power of Jesus Christ. These two miracles... In essence, for the one purpose was to validate Peter's authority as an apostle, as well as his message about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Peter is now busy encouraging the saints at these churches when he came down to the saints who dwelt at Lydda. Now, the word saint. You may typically think of the word saint as something that's reserved for senior adults. And we do have some saints in our senior adult population, do we not? We have some great saints, but the word saint speaks of someone who is set apart or who is holy, which means if you are a Christian here this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, regardless of how young you are or how old you are, you are a saint. Teens, next time you get in trouble, tell your mom, I'm a saint, mom because I'm a believer in Christ. And then your mother will tell you, then act like it. And there's some truth behind that. Listen, if you're a Christian here this morning, you are holy in God's sight. You are set apart by God for God's service. Through your faith in Christ, God now sees you covered in the righteousness of Christ. And now we are called to live like Christ in both our conduct and in our character. That is the essence of what it means to be a saint. We are positionally saints before God, and that's why now we are called to live like saints before God in the practical manner. So in both cities here, Peter is now encouraging these saints. In both cities, Peter performed a spectacular miracle. The first miracle we find in verse 33. Look at it with me again. There he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. Now, how many of you know someone who's bedridden? Raise your hand. All right, there's a handful. You know somebody who's bedridden. Their life is confined to a bed. That's their whole life. Now go back a few thousand years before all of our modern day medicine and technology, and this is someone who can't provide for themselves. They can't travel on their own. They are totally dependent on family and friends. And there is no prospect that he would ever get better. That is the life of this crippled man here in Acts 9. This man is paralyzed, we're told. And remember who's writing this to us. It's Luke. And what was Luke's occupation? Luke was a doctor. 
And so when he writes this, he knows what he's talking about. He says, this man is paralyzed, and for eight years he has not been able to leave his bed for eight long years. He's been confined to his bed. And it's a bleak picture that Luke wants us to get into our minds. It is a bleak picture of hopelessness until Peter speaks these words of hope that radically changes this man's life. Peter says to him in verse 34, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And then he arose immediately. The miracle was instantaneous. You could literally say this man was a walking miracle. Now I do find it quite amusing that the first thing he should do after being healed is to what? Make his bed. Is that not ironic or what? That is funny. It's not run down the streets, jump up and down and celebrate. No, it is make your bed. How many of you moms are really glad Peter said that? Sure, you're like, now I have a Bible verse to quote when my kids ask why they have to make their bed. How many of you don't like making your bed? Sure, I, I agree. I'll just share this little tidbit here. My first year in college, believe it or not, I'm almost ashamed to say this, I actually slept in a sleeping bag. My first year of college. You say, why would you sleep in a sleeping bag? Because I didn't like making the bed. I didn't like getting into a messy bed either, though, at night. And so it was much easier to just sleep in a sleeping bag, and when you get out of it, you just pull it over. But by the end of that second semester, I no longer slept in that sleeping bag anymore. You're like, why is that? Well, because it it's hard to wash a sleeping bag, and it begins to stink. I'm, I'm chasing rabbits here. <laughs> but let me tell you, let me tell you, this guy, Aeneas, he was really happy to make his bed because it's the first time in eight years that he could make his bed. Now, on a more serious note, why is this so significant? Why would Luke add this detail? Why would Peter tell him, arise and now make your bed? What's the point of that? Well, making his bed signified to everyone there that this crippled man, he is healed. A miracle has been performed, and he is no longer confined to his bed. He's a walking miracle. And who heals him, by the way? Jesus Christ heals him. Oh, Peter, Peter was the channel of God's power, but he was not the source of God's power here. So Peter's not taking any credit for this great miracle. He knows that if anyone is healed, it is Jesus Christ who heals. And that's why he says to him, Arise, Jesus Christ heals you. Now with this in mind, we might be wondering, well, does Jesus still heal today? And the short answer is yes. When, when it accomplishes his purposes, and when it's according to his will. Let me point out a distinction here for a moment between Jesus' power to heal, which is demonstrated right here in Acts 9. Jesus demonstrates his power to heal all through the Gospels. And now we see it again here in the books of Acts. But let me make a distinction between Jesus' power to heal and his will to heal. 
Both are extremely important, especially when it comes to praying for healing, either in your own personal life or even in the life of somebody else. So if you are here this morning and you have cancer, or you know of somebody who does, or you have some sort of disease or sickness, or you know of someone who does, listen, don't ever doubt Jesus' power to heal. Is Jesus able to heal you or a family member or friend? Absolutely. Jesus is able to heal. The question is, is Jesus willing to heal? Is it His will for you or your family member or friend to be healed of whatever sickness and suffering that they are going through? And that is a different question altogether. And that, most of the time, is what we don't know. Here in Acts 9, the answer is yes. Jesus is willing to heal this crippled man. And folks, it is a great miracle, is it not? It is a spectacular miracle. In fact, you realize there are 14 different miraculous healings in the book of Acts. And so we do see that Jesus can and does heal. No, he doesn't heal in every chapter here in the book of Acts. And he certainly does not heal for every person in the book of Acts. But Jesus does heal according to his will. You go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And you see Paul. And Paul is struggling with this what he calls this thorn in the flesh. And, and a lot of Bible scholars believe that that was some sort of physical illness or pain or some sort of suffering that Paul was going through. And there the Lord is not willing to heal. And we know the Lord didn't heal in Paul's life for the purpose that he wants Paul to trust in God's grace through it instead of removing it. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8-9. through 9. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. And so this was bothering Paul. Thorn in his flesh. Three times he prays to God to take it away. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And so as you pray for healing, either in your own life or in a family member's life or a friend's life, pray with confidence in God's power knowing that He's able to heal and pray with trust in God's will knowing that His will is good and perfect, whatever it may be. So we see a great miracle here when Peter heals this crippled man through the power of Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, though, something else is happening 12 miles down the road in the city of Joppa, which brings us to a greater miracle, and that is Peter raises the dead. No doubt healing a crippled man is a spectacular demonstration of Jesus' power. But raising the dead, oh my, that brings it to a whole nother level, does it not? Listen, let me tell you, raising the dead, that, that's off the charts. Spectacular. 
And so don't just gloss over what we're about to go over now because this is phenomenal. This miracle, even it may even seem like deja vu to you because for it resembles the miracle where Jesus, back in the Gospels, raised Jairus' daughter to life. And here in Acts 9, Peter encounters a woman in Joppa who became sick and died. You say, well, who was this woman? Well, we know in Acts 9, verse 36, look at it with me. It says, at Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. So this woman was a disciple of Christ or a follower of Jesus Christ. And her name was Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas in Greek. And so Tabitha is a, is a nice name. It's, it's a beautiful name. In fact, it even means gazelle. You may know someone by the name of Tabitha. Anybody know the name of, someone by the name of Tabitha? Sure. I doubt any of you have the name of Dorcas, though. And yeah, yeah you understand why. Tabitha. We're also told was full of good works and charitable deeds. This means she loves people. In fact, she loves people so much that she helps people. She serves people. And so she's a wonderful example here in this church of faithfulness and godliness. Now, we don't hear anything about her husband, so she may have been single or widow. We're not really sure. What we are sure about is what happened next here in verse 37. Look at it. It says, but it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. So apparently she had a battle with some sort of sickness. I've often wondered, did they ask God to heal her? If they did, God didn't answer that prayer, did he? He allowed her to die instead of healing her. And after preparing her body for burial, they laid her in an upper room. But apparently, hope doesn't end when life ends. That's beautiful. Look what it says in verse 38. And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Now, I'll be honest. I have no idea what these disciples had in mind when they sent for Peter. I mean, what were they expecting Peter to do? Tabitha was already what? Dead. And yet they sent two people up the road to Lydda, 12 miles away. Go, get Peter. Get Peter. Bring him back. And you've got to wonder, what is going through their minds? I mean, were they really expecting Peter to raise her from the dead? I mean, when's the last time you've seen somebody raise somebody from the dead? That's what I thought. There was no precedence for this at all. Peter had not raised anybody from the dead. Raising the dead was a very, very, very rare phenomenon. Even in Jesus' ministry, there are only three instances that are recorded of somebody being raised from the dead. And in Acts, there have been none so far up to this point. So what were they expecting Peter to do? You might even think Peter would have said to these two men, well, if she's dead, what's the point in me going? Just have a funeral and bury her. 
But Peter goes with them to Joppa. That in and of itself is amazing to me. Where he discovers, as you might imagine, a group of weeping widows. Picture the sadness here in verse 39. It says, Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him, weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. After ushering these weeping widows out of the room, Peter knelt down and he prayed. Why is that? Because Peter knows he is just a man, and apart from God, he can do nothing. And so Peter prays totally dependent upon God's power and God's will. And then Peter did something that was at one level totally absurd, and on a different level, a deliberate echo of what he had seen Jesus Christ do himself. According to verse 40, look at it, this is amazing. Peter turned to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. Now what possible use was it to speak to a dead body? How many have seen roadkill? Sure, how many of you speak to roadkill? No. No, you normally, if, if you're, I, won't, I was getting ready to say lucky enough, you're not lucky. Uh, we, ha, we, had, we, have, we, we have a ton of rabbits in our neighborhood. And so there are dead rabbits on, on our road, all like, seems like once a month, because we have so many rabbits in our neighborhood. And I, don't, I have yet to see anybody go up to a dead rabbit on the road and begin speaking to it. Why? Because we understand that is a dead animal, right? And who speaks to a dead body as if to rise up? That's the most absurd thing in the world. Nobody would say to a dead body, a body in a casket, if you're at a funeral and you walk past at a funeral to a dead body in a casket, no one in the right mind would say, arise. We all understand that. It's the most ludicrous thing to say. And so this is both absurd for Peter to say that, and yet amazing at the same time. Because just as Peter had called on a crippled man to rise up out of his bed, Peter's now calling on a dead person to rise up from the dead. Amazing. And what happened? Tabitha came to life. The rest of verse 40 says, and she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Peter had never done this before. And I wonder what in the world was going through his mind when he saw her eyes open and her body sit up. Man, if I was Peter, I would have been like, whoa. I'm sure Peter's heart was flooded with relief and then joy. When according to verse 41, he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Can you imagine the rejoicing in that room amongst those widows, her friends? Amazing here. Two miracles. The first is a great miracle when a crippled man is raised from his bed. And the second is a greater miracle when a dead woman is raised from the dead. Both are spectacular miracles. Would you not agree with that? But they do not hold a candle to the greatest miracle of all in this chapter. You say, what's that? Look at it with me. That is Jesus saves the soul. 
That's the greatest miracle. These two miracles illustrated the saving grace of Jesus Christ and became a launching pad for the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, after both miracles, the people's response was the same. After Aeneas was raised from his bed, it says in verse 35, So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. After Tabitha was raised from the dead, it says in verse 42, And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Now, listen, don't make a mistake here. Don't mistake which is the greatest miracle here in this chapter. A crippled man got up from his bed, and a dead woman got up from the dead. Both are great miracles indeed. But in the wake of those two miracles, hundreds of people turned from their sins and believed in Jesus for eternal life. And folks, that is the greatest miracle of all. So let me ask you here this morning. In fact, let me ask you the most important question in life. Have you ever experienced the miracle of salvation? You see, the greatest miracle is turning from your sins and believing in Jesus for eternal life. Think about this with me for a moment. Aeneas experienced a great miracle. And Tabith experienced an even greater miracle. But get this. Both miracles were temporary and short-lived. Anina still got old, and he died on his deathbed. And Tabitha still died and had a second funeral in which she did not come back to life. But all the people here who turned from their sins and believed in Jesus were radically changed forever and given eternal life. The whole reason Jesus raises Tabitha from the dead is to show us what the future holds for those who believe in Jesus Christ. When we see Tabitha come back from the dead, we know that if our hope, if our trust, if our faith is in Jesus, then one day, like Tabitha, we are going to what? Rise from the dead. Yes, Tabitha died. And yes, she was brought back from her death. But eventually, she would die again. And one day, she will be resurrected eternally, never to die again. And that's the future for everyone who has experienced the miracle of salvation in Jesus Christ. Aren't you excited about that? Regardless of the outcome of tonight's game. Have you ever wondered to yourself, what happens when you die? The prevailing myth of our culture says, oh, they died and went to a better place. I've now been the pastor here at our church 14 years almost. And I've done a lot of funerals by now. I've done funerals for believers in Christ, and I've done funerals for unbelievers. 
And there's a world of difference. Everybody at a funeral wants hope. They want to know that that friend, that loved one, is in a better place. And so we, I've heard people almost talk people into that better place as they will pass by the casket or they're talking among friends and loved ones. Listen, just because you die doesn't mean you go to a better place. Do you realize Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven? And Jesus alone is the way to eternal life in heaven. Jesus says in John chapter 11, 25-26, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks this heart-penetrating question, do you believe this? Here's the point Jesus is making. You're going to die. I'm going to die. You're going to die. Why? Because sin causes death. And I'm a sinner. And you're a sinner. And so all of us here are going to die. But if you believe in Jesus, even though you die physically, you will not die spiritually. Even though you die temporarily, you will not die eternally. If you believe in Jesus, listen, He is your eternal life, in other words. He is your resurrection. Let me tell you, the worst thing is not dying. Dying is not the worst thing. The worst thing that can ever happen to you is dying without believing in Jesus Christ. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ as your, as his, for Him, for your salvation, even though you die, He says you will live for all eternity. So we should stop here. We should ask ourselves. Teens, ask yourself. I know you're young and you think I have my whole life ahead of me. And some of you on this side, you're at the tail end of your life and it's quickly approaching. And so whether you're on this side or this side in the pendulum of life, we should all stop and ask ourselves, have I turned from my sins and do I believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life? If so... If so, then, listen, don't lose heart in this world in which we see. This world that is filled with sickness and death. Don't lose heart. Keep an eternal perspective. Notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. You say, why? Because the best is yet to come. Don't lose heart because the best is yet to come. Listen, the day will come when sickness and death will be no more. Until then, we can trust in God's goodness and rest in God's presence as we carry out His mission. These two miracles in Acts 9, they're like a foreshadow or a foretaste of what's to come for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. And so be encouraged here this morning by these two miracles. Get this, at the end of the first miracle. You have a crippled man rising up from his bed. And at the end of the second miracle, you have a dead woman rising up from the dead. And one day, 
Oh, one day that will be your story and my story when Jesus returns. That's cool, man. That's exciting. The first miracle, I love this. What, it's an example of what C.S. Lewis called a, a miracle of reversal in which the effects of sin and the fall are reversed and we get a glimpse of the new creation when Jesus will restore a broken and cursed creation. These two miracles help us see that a day is coming when all sickness and death will be eradicated once and for all. John tells us in Revelation 21, verse 4, in fact, I think this is in your notes, look at it, it says, He, Jesus, will wipe away what? Every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. How many of you, this life has included some tears? All our hands are up, aren't they? Because we know that all of our lives has included tears. Whether it's been due to physical pain, spiritual pain, emotional pain, you have shed some tears. Tears are the reality of this life as we persevere and hobble toward the next life in the kingdom of God. And once we get to the king, John tells us that the king of kings, Jesus Christ, what will he do? He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. What a tender moment that will be. You know, I've seen my wife, who is also a mother of two boys. And as you can imagine, with two boys, there have been times, especially when they were younger, where they had tears in their eyes for a variety of reasons. If you have daughters, you know they've had a lot of tears in their eyes growing up. And one of the most tenderest things a parent can do is to do what? Is to wipe those tears away from your child's eyes. Can you imagine that day when we as God's children and Jesus will wipe away the tears? And you will never shed another tear because sin will be gone. And as a result, sickness and death will be gone forever. And there will be no more pain. For some of you, it has been a long time since you have had a pain-free day. Oh, do you not look forward to that day when there will be no more pain? Can you fathom a world like that? No more sickness, no more pain, no more death because there is no more sin. Think about this from an eternal perspective. Just think with me about this. For the non-Christian, for the person who is not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, get this, this life, this life that we are living now, this life is as good as it gets for them. What you read about on the news, what you see with your eyes, what you experience now, this life is as good as it gets for them. But for us 
who are believers in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, this life, it is as bad as it gets. Why? Because the best is still yet to come. That's why the greatest miracle is the miracle of salvation of Jesus Christ. Have you experienced that miracle? Do you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? If so, then don't lose heart. Because there is coming a day when sickness and suffering, disease and death will be no more. This is our hope in Jesus Christ. But that day is not yet. And so we wait for that day. We long for that day. And we pray for that day to come. And until then, we trust in God's goodness. And we rest in God's presence as we carry out God's mission to let them hear the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Now, before we close, Luke adds this little postscript at the end of all these miracles here. You may have noticed it in verse 43. It's a postscript to Peter's miracle ministry that has really great application for us even today. And here's the application. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for all peoples, so let them hear. In the coming days... It will become clear to the church at Jerusalem that the gospel is for everyone. Not just for Jews, but also for Gentiles. And Peter, he would be the harbinger of this. You know, like that word harbinger, what's that? It speaks of one who prepares the way for another. It's like a forerunner, if you will. And although Peter was an apostle to the Jews, it was through Peter that the gospel door was now open to the Gentiles. That's us. This is what we see happening when it says here in verse 43, this little postscript to the stories of these miracles. Look what it says. So it was that he, Peter, stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. Now, you're like, what's the big deal about that? Well, let me tell you, this was a huge deal for Peter to stay with Simon a tanner. This is radical. Now, in case you're wondering, a tanner is not someone who lays out at the beach to get a tan. I know there may be a few out there who may be thought, a tanner, wow, man, that's an occupation I want. No, a tanner is someone who works with dead animals to treat or tan their skins. And because of their contact with dead animals, tanners were considered very, very, very unclean. In fact, pious Jews, someone like Peter, would have considered them unclean and even despised people like Simon. And yet, here was Peter, and of all places in Joppa, he's staying with who? Simon, a tanner. And you say, why is that? What's up with that? Well, God's doing a work here. God was breaking down barriers in Peter's heart toward people outside of his religious comfort zone. God was preparing Peter to open the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul reminds us in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is what? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, you've got to come back next Sunday. 
because we're going to explore this whole idea here. This postscript is setting us up for chapter 10 of Acts. And Acts chapter 10 is the most important chapter. It is the pivotal chapter. It's the turning point chapter in the whole book of Acts. You're like, whoa, I didn't know that. You're like, what's it all about? You've got to come back next Sunday. Or perhaps read about it even this week. It's a phenomenal chapter. Until then, though, let us leave here this morning. Let us leave here praising God that the gospel is for all peoples. And let us leave here proclaiming the gospel to all peoples. Let's pray. And as we pray, and as we prepare for our response time, perhaps God is speaking to you and you have yet to experience the greatest miracle of all. The miracle of salvation. Listen, that can be your miracle today. On November 1st of 2015, you can experience the miracle of the new birth. Right where you're seated, right now. You can cry out to the Lord. You can express your desire's heart. You can confess your sins and let Jesus know you want Him to forgive you and you want Him to be your Savior and Lord. Would you do that if God is drawing you to Himself? For the rest of us, will you commit to leave here praising God that the gospel is for all peoples? And will you commit to leave here proclaiming the gospel to all peoples? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the miracle ministry of Peter where we see your power at work in healing the body and raising the dead, and most of all, in the saving of the soul. Lord, we look forward to that day when you return, and there will be no more sickness and death. But until then, help us to trust in your goodness and to rest in your presence as we carry out your mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.